You're listening to the Faith Matters Podcast with Steve McKinley. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our second episode here in this series that we're on with uh, looking at the historical evidence for the life and times and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And I have back with us uh, Tom Baker. Welcome back to the podcast. Tom is starting to become a familiar face here on the podcast. Maybe you need no introduction, but... Um, uh, but uh, we're going to uh, hit a new topic here today, which is... We are dealing with the extra-biblical historical sources that mention Jesus Christ. Okay, so believe it or not, outside of the Gospels and outside of the, the New Testament Scripture, there are references to Jesus, yeah. the historical Jesus. And uh, there are people out there who uh, would say that uh, there isn't any evidence for Jesus. And I would call those people, I think, uninformed, uh, because there actually is. And uh, nobody can deny the evidence that's out there. If you don't believe the Gospels, at least believe other historical sources. And uh, so this is an exciting topic for me, Tom. I'm really looking forward to it. Do you want to kick us off? Okay, then. Well, last week, of course, we were dealing about the archaeology, so basically the stuff in the ground that relates to the Gospels. And so this week we're going on to what has been written about Jesus, not in the Bible, but outside of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to consider first off, you know, the Gospels and the New Testament are considered historical documents. Right. You know, most people today would not deny their historical usefulness. Now, they might deny, Mm -hmm. you know, like that Jesus did miracles, and that he died on the, and that he died and was um, rose again after three days, but as a historical sources, they are considered in, in most secular sources as being reliable. Mm-hmm. You know, the miracles that they most people would just sort of try to explain them away. But as we're going to see today, there are extra biblical historical sources that mention several things about Jesus and what he did, mm. and. What we're going to see is these were not just pro-Christian sources. So these weren't just Christians writing about Christianity. These were sources that came from the Jews, from Romans, and from Greeks. And some of them may not have necessarily been hostile, or some of them were hostile. But at the very least, they were not Christians. And that they wrote about Jesus, they mentioned Jesus, and they mentioned several important facts about who Jesus was, where he ministered, and what they are, they record about some of the events in his life. So uh, just to make clear here, uh, there are many d- historical documents mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective oh, yes. that mention Jesus. Yeah. And so we could look at those, and there are many, many, many of those, mm-hmm. but what we're focusing here on is the neutral and hostile sources, yes, right? Exactly. And that would tend to strengthen the case for Christianity because yeah. uh, it's it's people who didn't want Christianity to exist or yeah. they wanted it to end. Yeah. And so we'll hear from those people here today. Yeah, so some were hostile, some were indifferent, some may not have had any strong opinions about Christianity. And mm-hmm. so, like I said, there's Jewish sources, Roman sources, Greek sources. And especially <clears throat> we find these sources in the... in the first and second centuries. Some are a little bit later, but very close to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and also to the apostles and the early history of Christianity after the time of Christ. Hmm. So we'll start off, say, for instance, 
what Jewish sources are there that mention Jesus? Well, one of the premier, you could say, uh, sources that mentions Jesus Christ out of the Bible from a Jewish perspective is from a man called Josephus. Mm. Now, I don't know if you've heard about Josephus, but Josephus was a first century Jewish historian who was involved in the wars against Rome, which led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. In mm. fact, he was captured by the Romans, by the emperor, by, well, he would soon become emperor um, uh, Vespasian and his son Titus. And in fact, he became very strong friends with Vespasian and Titus. Mm. And after uh, J- Judea was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, mm. the temple was destroyed, he was then brought back to Rome and he wrote a history of the Jews called, mm. an antiquity, called the Antiquities of the Jews. And, and so not a friendly Christian source, not friendly necessarily to Christian. He wasn't a Christian yeah. himself. No, he was not a Christian. No, in fact, Josephus came from, uh, came from the, a priestly background in, Jew, in Judea. Mm. So okay. he was from like the... The, the, from the, the people Sad- who... From the people who basically crucified Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, the yeah. Sadducees. Mm. And so he was not <clears throat> pro-Jesus. He was not pro-Christianity. Now, what we see, though, is that in the Antiquities of the Jews, in Book 18, Chapter 3, and Part 3 of Chapter 3, what we see is there's a quote that's often given about Jesus. Now, we have to take parts of this quote with a little bit of salt. And you may say, well, why is that? Well, because it's possible that later on, when people, when, especially during the medieval period, that when people were copying down what Josephus wrote, that some, you could say, overzealous monk in a monastery might have decided to add his own little bit of pro-Christian uh, rhetoric. Could happen, I suppose. It, it, it's very possible. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Those are the people who are copying down these documents. Hmm. But just to mention here the quote that's given about Jesus... It says, Josephus writes, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again, the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Now, (laughs) that's the quote from Josephus. a lot of information right there. That's a lot of information. But the thing is, knowing Josephus' background from an elite... A Sadducee priestly background, he would have not have been in favor of Jesus. Not, maybe not have been so pro yeah. calling him the Christ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And in yep. that document, they it says he was the Christ, which you know, a high-ranking priest in uh, the Jewish in in, uh, in the Judea wouldn't have said those things. He wouldn't have been in his job right, at that right. point. He would have been removed from his position. Yeah, the Sadducees were kind of the professional class yeah, yeah. Uh, of of the Jews, whereas the 
Pharisees were more like the moral yeah, religious exactly. class. Yeah, the Sadducees they, weren't. They weren't believers. They weren't strong. No. I no. mean, they didn't believe in the resurrection. No, no. They didn't uh-huh. believe in miracles of the resurrection. Right. Correct. And they were in control of the temple system. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Josephus came from. But the thing is, most scholars agree that there's a core truth here in this passage from Josephus. And so when you sort of get through the bits that look very simply have been added during probably the medieval period when it was being copied down time and time again, there are several elements we can take away from this which I believe are historically reliable. Firstly, it mentions Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it tells us he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So Josephus is stating that there was a man called Jesus and he had disciples, both Jews and both Gentiles, which we know is true from the gospel accounts. And it also states, and when Pilate at the suggestion of the principal men among us, speaking of the religious leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin and others, had condemned him to the cross... So what Josephus, we can take away from this, is that Josephus, I believe, stated that there was a man called Jesus. He had disciples. He was not liked by the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders of the Jews and of the temple. And that he was condemned to the cross. Hmm. So when you put those pieces together, there was Hmm. a man, Jesus. He had followers. And during during the governorship of Pontius Pilate, I didn't mention that, he was condemned to the cross. Mm -hmm. Now, those are like the key events of Jesus' well, the end of his life. Right. And, and, you know, we can take away the bits that look added on, but really it seems like Josephus' core message is pretty simple. There was a man, Jesus, followers, Pilate had Mm -hmm. him executed by being crucified. Mm -hmm. And so that's a first century Jewish historian who is mentioning that. Right. Fascinating. And so that's like one of the first, that's one of the primary sources, an extra biblical source for the life of Jesus. And what is the rough dating of that? Uh, That would be after 70 AD, and so after the destruction of Judea, so probably, you know, later part of the first century. Around the same time as the Gospels, at least the later Gospels. Later Gospels, yeah. We can't know exactly for sure, but this was written when Josephus was in Rome, so it had to be after he went to Rome, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and give a few years for him to write it down. Okay. Uh And so that's Josephus. So a Jewish source mentioning Jesus and how he was crucified by Pontius Pilate and he had followers. Hmm. But there's another quite important Jewish source, which is a bit later, and we don't know the exact dating for this. It's dated from anywhere between the 2nd century AD up until the 5th century AD. So we don't know for sure when this was written down. But this is found in the Jewish Talmud. Mm. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Talmud, but the Talmud is a collection of Jewish teachings by the rabbis after the temple was destroyed and their religious system was destroyed by the Romans. And in this book, well, books, I should say, there's a lot of teachings given by rabbis. There's a lot of legal judgments. It's a, it's a very eclectic mix of different teachings and different doctrines and different judgments. Hmm. You know, there's multiple different books in the Talmud. Hmm. But the one we're most... <clears throat> most um, uh, importantly looking at is Sanhedrin 
43a. So that's a pair of the Talmud, Sanhedrin 43a. Now you may say, well, I've heard the Sanhedrin, that was the religious council that ruled in Jesus' day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the name of the book as well. But here in the Sanhedrin 43a, it states that on Passover Eve, they hung the corpse of Jesus the Nazarene after they killed him by way of stoning. So here in this hostile Jewish source, they are talking about how that Jesus the Nazarene on the Passover Eve, so before Passover, they claim he was killed by stoning. But later on in the passage, they mentioned that he wasn't just stoned, he was hung, his corpse was hung. Huh. Words, so they the added more torture, yeah. basically, to yeah, the... Yeah, basically, because the gospel accounts are, are clear that he was crucified, not stoned. Right. Because he was executed by the Romans, not yeah, by the Jews. They actually tried to stone him on yeah. a few occasions, and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, and the Romans wouldn't have had him stoned to death. Right, that was more of a Jewish thing. Yeah, and so they mention he was hung, though. And so they don't say mm. he was crucified, but... Crucifixion is basically another torturous way of hanging someone, mm -hmm. except it's not how we would consider people to be hung. You know, we think of gallows and that. But yeah. crucifixion was considered a method of hanging a person. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot more terrible way of doing it. Yes. Yeah. And so here are these Jewish rabbis, and they're mentioning that Jesus, <laughs> the Nazarene, so where did Je was Jesus born? He was born, well, he wasn't born, Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem, <laughs> but he was in, raised, raised in, in Nazareth. Nazareth. Yes. And so he was considered a Nazarene. So he right. came from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. They state in there that he was killed on the Passover Eve, so before the Passover. Mm -hmm. Then later on in the passage, it says, And a crier went out before him for 40 days, publicly proclaiming, Jesus the Nazarene is going out to be stoned. Why? That's my insertion. Because he practiced sorcery. Now that's interesting because the Jews here are declaring that one of the crimes that they believe Jesus committed was that he was practicing sorcery. So they claim that he mm. was doing strange, <clears throat> weird, wonderful things. But they were claiming sorcery. Yeah. So they were stating, oh, this he's doing something using the power of the devil. Yeah, and so do you know it's there? Sounds very yeah. similar to things we read in in Matthew's gospel, for example. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that's the first thing that came to my mind because mm -hmm. in Matthew twelve, Mark three, and Luke eleven, the Jews admitted Jesus did miracles, but the religious leaders of the Jews accused him of doing miracles through the power of Beelzebub. Or the devil. Yeah, because they couldn't deny the the evidence that they saw of the miracle being yeah. performed, but they would not follow that to its conclusion that this man was from God. They refused to believe that, and so yeah. instead they had to blame it on on the devil. Yeah, the devil did it. Noble yeah, the devil did it. The devil did it. Not God. The devil. And so here's someone outside the gospels claiming this very thing yeah. consistent with the gospels. Yeah. Amazing. And so these Jews are stating he did miraculous things, but it was sorcery. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they they claim they stoned him and then they hung him. Hmm. So put this together, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene was hung on the Passover Eve, and one of the reasons he they did this was because of sorcery. Mm -hmm. And it also says that he led the Jewish people astray. 
which is what the Jewish re- mm-hmm. religious so leaders a believe. teaching miracle worker. Yeah, exactly. Yes, okay. Yeah, and so this is not coming from a Christian source. Mm-hmm. This is coming from a very hostile Jewish source who didn't like Jesus. In fact, there's another passage later on that people speculate mentions Jesus and that he, one of his punishments in hell was that he would um, be punished in a lake of boiling uh, excrement. Okay, wow. Yeah, they, that's that's going pretty low. <laughs> they didn't like Jesus didn't very like much. Him. Didn't like him. But, yeah. you know, when you get a hostile source that's basically stating he's doing miraculous things and that they put him to death on the Passover Eve for doing these things and, in their mind, leading people astray. Yeah, you know, uh, Tom, I, I've heard uh, uh, atheists say extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Exactly. If you can get your enemies to agree to your extraordinary claims, yeah. I would call that pretty extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And so this is uh, this is quite compelling evidence, I would say. Exactly. So you have one Jewish source, Josephus, if you take away what seems to be added in later on, who seems to be just mentioning some things about Jesus historically. Mm-hmm. Then you go to this very hostile Jewish source who mm-hmm. claims he was a sorcerer and did miraculous things with the power of the devil, and that's why they killed him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's two very powerful witnesses. Yeah. Two extra-biblical witnesses to what Jesus did during his ministry. Mm-hmm. So they're two important Jewish sources. But did the Romans talk about Jesus? Yes, they I'm did. Gonna, I'm going to guess yes. <laughs> yeah, they did. They spoke about Jesus. Several Roman historians and Greeks also mm-hmm. mentioned Jesus in extra-biblical sources. Yeah, if nothing else, just because they executed him, I would think that he would turn up in some kind of record yeah, oh, of yeah. their executions and, and things. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. He does turn up in their records. Now, mm-hmm. these were also people who may not have felt one way or another about Jesus, but they mentioned that he existed and that several things happened in during his life and ministry. Maybe it's some clerk just doing their job, oh, no. recording things that happened, no? No, no, these are, some of these are were very high-ranking Roman citizens, and s- some were senators, and in fact, some were are famous his- Roman historians. Oh, okay. So not just so anyone. It works into the history that they're writing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So when the Roman elite are, are mentioning Jesus, you know, he must have been someone who was important enough in their mind to be talked about. Mm. So who are these some examples? Well, firstly, there's Tacitus. You may have heard of the Roman historian mm-hmm. Tacitus. He wrote one of his works is the Annals, or in other words, the coll- a collection of the of Roman history from about the time of Augustus up until the, about the time of Nero. Now, he was a Roman senator, so he wasn't just nobody. He was an important Roman citizen. Mm. He was also a historian. He lived in about 56 AD to about 120 AD. So second half of the first century, early part of the second century AD. So he was a well-known Roman, important, not just uh, an ordinary fellow. But in Tacitus's Annals, in, in, in chapter 15, book 15, verse 44, 
The context of the passage is dealing with the Great Fire of Rome in 64 AD. Now, you may have heard of that mm-hmm. event. It's when um, Rome, when a huge proportion of Rome was burnt down during the reign of the Emperor Nero. Mm-hmm. And you may have heard... The they dis- suspected him yeah. of starting the fire. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and everyone hears the story that as Rome was burning, Nero was fiddling which yeah. we don't really know for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But that may have been an accusation that was thrown about. We don't know if that's true and, and or not. And led to widespread persecution of the Christians, e- we, we believe. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you see is in Tastus, in the Annals, he mentions after Rome has burnt down, he, there's a quote which says, Therefore, to scorch the rumor, in other words, Nero was literally coming under fire, pardon the pun, for having burned down part of Rome so he could build a big palace. To, to literally scorch the rumor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two <Another puns>. pun. <laughs> yeah. But therefore, to, to scorch the rumor, Nero substituted as culprit, so he's looking for a scapegoat to blame because the heat was coming on him. Mm-hmm. And he wanted somewhere to get out of being accused of having set fire to Rome, which we don't know if he did or didn't. But some Romans at least thought he might have done it. Yeah. And punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty, a class of men loathed for their vices. (sighs) Sounds like terrible men. Mm -hmm. No, he's actually talking about Christians. And the Romans Mm. considered Christians full of vices because they didn't do things the way the Romans did. Mm -hmm. So Tacitus wasn't exactly pro-Christian. He says they're full of vices, so they weren't good people in Tacitus's mind. Right. But mentioning Christians whom the crowd styled Christians. He says, Christus, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. He then continues on a little bit. Not me, he says, and the pernicious superstition was checked for a moment only to break out once more, not merely in Judea or the land of Israel the home of the disease, but in the capital itself. Hmm. So if you break down what Tastus is saying there, Nero blamed the Christians for the great fire of Rome in 64 AD. Tastus was not fond of the Christians. He accuses them of being viceful people who did things that were very un-Roman. But what he states in that passage is very clear. He says that a man named Christus, that's just a Latin way of saying Christ, Mm -hmm. was the founder of the Christian movement, which started in Judea, or modern-day land of Israel, Judah. Mm -hmm. The movement by that point, when Tacitus is writing, and in 64 AD, had spread to Rome, and that Christ was put to death during the reign of the Emperor Tiberius and under Pontius Pilate. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those are all historical <clears throat> statements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is it. This mm-hmm. is a Roman center writing about the Jesus being the founder of Christianity, that Christianity had spread to Rome by 64 AD. Which, exactly what the book of Acts says. And yes. what Roman states as well. Yes. You know? uh-huh. yes. <laughs> and that he was put to death during the reign of Tiberius, which yeah. was when he was put to death, mm-hmm. and also under Pontius Pilate. 
Mm. which is what the gospel said. And, and Paul in Philippians also said yeah. that the gospel had reached even the Roman guard, the yeah. praetorium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is a Roman senator who's writing the history. And here he's saying, yep, you're right, Paul. Yeah, yes, you're right. and he yeah. wrote it down. There were Christians in Rome whose founder was a man called Christ who was crucified by Pontius Pilate, under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Yeah, this is just incredible yeah. extra-biblical yeah. evidence that yeah. supports the Bible. The Bible's Bible's not the only source that talks about these things. No, there's plenty of bib, extra biblical sources out there, and we've only gone through actually a few of them. Yeah. And so we can go on to another Roman source, a guy called Pliny the Younger. Mm. Now, Pliny mm. the Younger is a little bit lighter. He lived from about 61 to about 112 A.D., Okay. And Pliny the Younger, he wrote a book of, well, he wrote a series of letters. Now, it's a big book of letters. Basically, in this book, it's letters that he wrote to the Emperor Trajan, who was, an em who was the emperor of the Roman Empire in the early part of the second century AD. And he wrote to the Emperor Trajan constantly because basically he was a governor in what is modern day Turkey in a part of modern Turkey. You know, we call it Turkey. They would call it Asia, Asia Minor. It was divided up into smaller regions too. Mm -hmm. But he was constantly writing back and forth to the emperor because as governor, he came, he had to make judicial decisions that needed to be dealt with. But somehow, he, sometimes he didn't know what to do. And so if you want authority to do something or get some clarification from the law books in Rome, you wrote to the emperor. And that's what he constantly would do. Mm. And so in one of these letters... In book 10, in, in passages six, 96 to 97, or letters 96 to 97, he writes to Trajan because he's got a serious issue that he's never dealt with. He's come across some Christians who are in Asia, and they refuse to worship, you know, the, the, uh, the Roman gods and the Roman pantheon and the Roman emperors and so on and so forth. And so people have accused these Christians and brought them up before the governor. And Trajan doesn't know really what to, um, uh, Pliny doesn't really know what to do because he's never dealt with the Christians before. Hmm. And so he's writing to Trajan and saying, what should I do? You know, it's a big long letter. I can't read for, for, for time's sake. But he's basically asking, you know, this is what they're doing. This is what they do. This is what they won't do. What do I do, Emperor? Please tell me. And so then Trajan writes back and tells him what his opinion is. And Trajan basically says, look, you know, you shouldn't actively set out to persecute them. But if they come and out and you can, you have evidence that they won't do certain things, you should punish them. But don't actively persecute them. Don't go looking for them. Hmm. But the point that's relevant to us within the letter is, is that he states in one bit, he says, all this is Pliny right into Trajan. He says, all such I considered should be discharged, especially as they cursed the name of Christ, which it is said those who are really Christians cannot be induced to do. Mm, he also wow. then <clears throat> later on mentions cursing the name of Christ again. Okay. And so Pliny is aware of the fact that these Christians will not blaspheme the name of Christ. He realizes that Christ is their leader, the one they worship, and they will not blaspheme 
his name. They won't denounce him. They won't repent of believing in Jesus. They won't repent. So there was a wide, wide enough group at this early stage of people who were that committed to this man named or called Christ. Yeah. Wasn't a later invention. No. Yeah, exactly. So. And it was well known. And in fact, the Emperor <clears throat> Trajan writes back to Pliny and he, he knows about Christians. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, well, this is my advice. You know, don't actively hunt them down. But if you find them and, you know, they need to be punished, you punish them in accordance with the law, as the Romans would have deemed it. Mm-hmm. And so it's only a very quick person mention. The context speaks a lot about Christians, what Christians did and didn't do. But in the context, what we're dealing with, it mentions Christ. Yeah. So here's a Roman governor writing to the emperor about Christ. And both of them acknowledge that these Christians believed there was a man Christ and they don't say that there wasn't a guy called Christ Mm -hmm. they just take it for granted they just don't like the Christians yeah and so they reject that idea wow Wow. and so you you see some Roman sources there and so there's a couple more here that we can look at so we've looked at Pliny the Younger and what he had to say about Christ We're going to go to another Roman source. So this is a third Roman source who mentions Jesus Christ in an extra-biblical source. Mm. And that is the historian Suetonius. Mm. Now, Suetonius, he lived from about 69 AD to sometime after 130 AD. So we don't know exactly when, you know, roughly he died. But we know it was in the first half of the second century AD. And he was a Roman guy. And he's most famous because he wrote a series of biographies about the Roman emperors. Hmm. So he, of course, uh, from Augustus, and he meant and goes through a few of the Roman emperors. And so he writes about where they, where they were born, what they did, so on, what happened during their reigns. And so, in particular, note for us is in his biography on the Emperor Claudius, one of the famous Roman emperors, in Claudius, chapter 5, in book 5, um, p- passage 25, it mentions quite briefly, so this is only sort of a person reference, he says, he banished from Rome all the Jews who were continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Crestus. Wow. So it's just a one sentence. It's sort of like a person's statement about something important that happened in the reign of Claudius. Mm. But what's of note there (laughs) is that during the reign of Claudius, Suetonius clearly states that the Jews were expelled for Rome. Mm -hmm. What had happened that was so serious that the Emperor Claudius thought, look, get these Jews out. Mm. And Suetonius states it was because of disturbances that had been made at the instigation of one Crestus. Now you say, Crestus, who's that? Well, that's just another way of saying Christ. Mm -hmm. And so what seems to have happened in the reign of the Emperor Claudius was that the Jews in Rome were having a bit of a ruckus. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion is, as we're going to see in a moment, it was about the teachings of Jesus. So so this would have been um, Jews... um, uh, creating disturbances with Christians, really persecuting the Christians, yeah. and it caught the attention of the Romans. They didn't like that. Yeah, we, we're not. So they kicked yeah. them all out. We're not really sure of the details, but it could be that. But it could also be the fact that there were Jewish Christians in the city of Rome. They started to preach to the non-Jew, non-Christian Jews, mm-hmm. and so that started a big ruckus theologically. 
which started to spill out into everyday life because you had one group of Jews who were claiming to believe in Jesus and the other group were like, whoa. And in Rome, this would have been treason because the emperor is, is supposed to be the god. Yeah. But no, the thing is with the Jews, the Jews were given a lot of leniency by the Romans. So probably the issue but, was... But maybe not to proselytize Gentiles, though, yeah. right? It's, uh, it seems, though, from the context that it had more to do with more of an internal matter with, with oh, the okay. Jews. So it doesn't seem like the Jews were... It was so much of a matter with the Jews proselytizing to the Gentiles, but it was more of a matter of the Jews proselytizing to Jews. And it caused a big friction within the Jewish community, which seemingly got so... Uh, fractious and so problematic that the emperor just said look right we're not having these jews fussing and feuding in our town just boot them all out now it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh paul getting um dragged before uh what what is it gallius yeah. um Corinth. the yeah and um and him the pro or man I had the yeah. the word just on the tip of my tongue. What what is he called? The procured pro proconsul. Pro proconsul. Yeah. yeah. Let me start back with that. Yeah. It it kind of reminds me of uh, of Paul in in Corinth who was dragged before the proconsul Gallius mm. uh, by the Jews, mm. and Gallius said he wanted to hear none of that. Yeah. And uh, and then the Greeks started a riot, yeah. and then uh, persecuted the Jews yeah. because of that disturbance. Kind of along yeah. those lines. Yeah, basically, the, basically the, the progress was like, no, mm. I don't want anything to do with this. This is an internal Jewish matter. I don't want anything to do with that. You're just causing a fussing and feud in between yourself. Keep that to yourselves. Don't bother me. And the Greeks were like, look, we're tired of this fuss and you're just causing us hassle now. And so, you know. And what the Romans wanted basically was peace in their provinces. They didn't yeah. want anyone disturbing yeah. the, the peace yeah. and have these yeah. riots break out. And especially in the capital city of Rome. Right. Yeah. You know, if the emperor couldn't control Rome, then, you know, really, what could he do at the end of the mm -hmm. day? And so it seems like it was an internal Jewish matter. And mm. the thing is, though, you may say, well, that's interesting. So they were arguing about Christ. But this relates, though, back to the Gospels and mm -hmm. specifically, actually, the book of Acts mm -hmm. 18 in chapter mm, 18. Yes. Because in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 2, we see evidence backing up what Suetonius says. And Suetonius backs up what Acts says, too, yes. which shows uh -huh. the accuracy of the book of, of Acts. Mm -hmm. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And it says, And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy. So here was a Jewish man called Aquila who was born in Pontus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he had been living in Italy. Mm -hmm. But notice it says, with his wife Priscilla. Why were they in Corinth? This is what the Acts says. Because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Hmm. A notable historical detail. Exactly. And so you can specifically date that event, that time in Paul's life, by when Claudius booted out the Jews from Rome. 
by the way, this is just a side note, but yeah. uh, there have been there have been uh, at least one secular historian who called Luke. Luke wrote Acts. He wrote the Gospel of Luke in Acts. He mm. called him a historian of the first rank. Yeah, exactly. When you read Luke and you read Acts, there are all kinds of historical details that are mm. kind of gratuitous. They didn't have to be there to yeah. make the story of Acts work. Yeah. But they're just all these little historical details worked into the story that yeah. just show that this is an authentic uh, story set account set right into history. Yeah. And now not only do we have that, we have this yeah. uh, other Roman source confirming the same exact thing. Exactly. That's fascinating yeah, to me. And, and the source is a Roman historian. It's not an apostle. It's not someone associated with an apostle. It's an extra biblical source that, that mm-hmm. is just stating well, what happened. A well-regarded historian yeah. of Rome. Yeah, Suetonius. Yeah. And so there we go. So, you know, people say, well, the Gospels are not historically accurate or Acts is not historically accurate. Well, it matches up with extra-biblical sources. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the book of Acts and the Gospels are, even today, they're considered historical sources, mm-hmm. but we believe they are accurate. Why? Every detail. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. because that. why are they accurate? Well, because they did their homework, but they were also inspired by God. Right. And God always speaks the truth. <clears throat> they he got it right. Lie. Exactly. Yeah. Why did they get it right? Because, well, God did it. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, simple as that, really. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen a few of those sources. We've seen several Roman sources. But there's a couple more we can talk about. Some of them may not be as familiar as some people, but they are quite interesting in and of themselves. One of them is from the second century AD. So a bit later than the first century, but relatively still close to the times of Jesus and the apostles. And that source is a guy called Lucian. Now, Lucian, he's also called Lucian of Samosata. And he was a writer. He was very famous for his satire. So he liked to write comedies and mm-hmm. he liked to make poke fun at people. Satire was very popular in those days, as it is today. Mm-hmm. But he wrote a particular mm-hmm. work called The Death of Perig- Peregrinus. And in it, The story is about a cynic philosopher called Peregrinus, who, amongst other things, he took advantage of some Christians before leaving them. So, in other words, he has this cynic cynic philosopher come in, and he meets these Christians, and, and Lucian basically portrays these Christians as being very gullible and naive, and they're easily taken advantage of by this cynic philosopher who was just basically using them. And so he has very little regard for Christians. He portrays them as being gullible, silly, naive fools who just believe anyone who's, uh, you know, quick talking and knows how to speak and is impressive. Okay. So you can sort of get the way that Lucian thinks about Christians. He's like, "Mm, you know, they're a group of idiots. (laughs) Yeah, he uses them to kind of fill that particular role (laughs) in his satire. The the gullible dupes, you know, you can Mm -hmm. just uh, fool these guys. Not far off from a lot of our media today, which, you know, Christians bear a lot of the brunt of the the jokes and they're thought to be foolish uh, people. Exactly. Things haven't changed much over time. Everything... uh, and more we, and things do not change. They basically just stay the same. Yeah. It's just how 
things are stay the same is slightly different over time but they're basically the same as they've always been but in this satire so remember this is a comedy so he's poking fun at people and he's you know especially the christians who he seems as silly but you may say well how can we take a satire seriously as a historical source well, he's basing it on what he knows about Christians. So mm-hmm. good satire is based on reality. Yeah, it has to yeah. have some kind of relation to reality. Yeah. Otherwise, it's nonsense. Otherwise, his audience would just wouldn't take they wouldn't it get seriously. It. You know? yeah. But if they know what Christians are like, and this guy's poking fun of them, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, those silly Christians. Yeah, yeah, I know about them doing this and that and this yep. and that. Yeah, they're stupid, aren't they? <laughs> yep. Basically, you know, to yeah. sum it up. Yeah, that's right. But he mentions in this satire about Jesus, and he mentions a few things about Jesus. So he mentions that these are Christians, they're naive, they're gullible, but they follow a man called Jesus, Jesus to Christ. Now, he states in the work, in in uh, chapters 11 to 13, it says, Whom they still worship the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world. So in his satire, he mentions that the Christians worship a man who was crucified in Palestine Mm. and that this man in Palestine introduced a new cult or a new religion. Mm. You know, we think of cult today as, you know, sort of a, a... as uh, small groups who believe very strange things but cult can also refer to religion you can also you know we just don't tend to use cult in that term anymore Mm -hmm. but he considered them a a new cult they worship a crucified man who was from palestine but later on in the passage after he uh, after hit the philosopher dupes the christians and takes advantage of them he actually gets thrown in prison at a point for associating with the christians but then he's let out and when he's in prison the christians look after him really well and then he gets out and he leaves them and he thinks oh, they're fools to get away from them hmm. but later on he states in his work he says furthermore their first lawgiver speaking of jesus because jesus in the roman mind was the lawgiver of christianity just like moses is considered the lawgiver of judaism Mm -hmm. he persuaded them that they are all brothers of one another after they have transgressed once for all by denying the for all by denying the greek gods and by worshipping that crucified sophist himself and living under his laws. Mm. Wow. So, in a very short few words, Lucian is stating that Christ was worshipped as God mm-hmm. by the Christians. So, in the second century, Christians believed that Jesus was God, which we believe that Christians believe that in the first century. Mm-hmm. Some people claim that it wasn't until later that Jesus was worshipped as God. Yeah. But yeah, they read the Gospels and say, Jesus never said that. Jesus never claimed that. We're taking it out of context. We're reading that into it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, other people from the time thought that that's what yeah. he was teaching. Yeah. That's what the Christians believed. Yeah, and, and this is a guy who's not Christian who states, Look, those silly Christians, they believe this guy Christ is God. Wow, yeah. Also, he was crucified in Palestine or in Judea. So mm-hmm. once again, the testimony, the fact that he died by crucifixion, it also states that he gave laws, he taught, and he spoke publicly, which mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. that's Jesus, what he did. Yeah, that's yep. what he did in his public ministry, yep. and it also states that his movement was new. 
Okay. Yeah. So, you know, this was only a f relatively fresh development in the ancient world. Christianity mm -hmm. at that point was just about a century old. But rapidly growing. Yeah, but rapidly growing, as you yeah. can see. And he's mentioning this and all that's going on with these Christians, though mm. he doesn't look upon them as being a very good bunch of people. Like I said, he sees them as being gullible and, and, mm -hmm. and deluded and easily duped by this philosopher claiming to be something he was not. The miracle worker, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so there we go. Another source that mentions Jesus Christ and that he was worshipped by Christians as God and he was crucified and he taught and he created <clears throat> Christianity. <clears throat> you know? So yeah. that's not the Gospels, that's not the Bible stating that. That's a second century satirist who's mocking Christians. Mm -hmm. But yet, you know, when a hostile source states, states these things, you know, it, I believe it gives them even more emphasis on the truth of the matter. He mm -hmm. couldn't deny them. He just thinks it's stupid. Right, yeah. You know, in yep. his mind, you know. But then there is one more other famous reference, extra-biblical source that mentions Jesus. Now, this source is written by a guy called Celsus. Now, Celsus wrote about mm, 175 AD. So once again, in the second century AD, latter part of the century. Now, the thing is, Celsus, we don't actually have the, a complete collection of his works. Celsus didn't like Christianity. In fact, he attacked Christianity. He attacked Jesus. He attacked his teachings. He claimed that Jesus was plagiarizing from Plato, and you know he he accused Christians of uh, Christianity of an awful lot of things. Mm. But we don't actually have his works. And you may say, well, how do we know what he said? Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is, is that later on, in about 250 AD, there was a guy he's considered a church favor called Origen. Origen wrote many apologetic defences of Christianity. In other words, defending the faith and, you know, especially against attacks from non-believers and from non-Christians. Mm. And so he had the work of Celsus and he had read it and he decides, well, look, I've got to try to, I've got to make a defence against this guy's accusations against Jesus and against Christianity. Hmm. And or, that work that Origen wrote is called Against Celsus. So, uh, so, so that's the one that survives, but yeah. not his original work. Yeah. So in other hmm. words, Origen would quote from Celsus. So he had his work and he says, well, Celsus says this. But here's my defense and here's my rebuttal of what he said. Hmm. And so we may not have the complete work, but we do have sections of Celsus's work, which hmm. are preserved by origin. Now you may say, well, that's no way of preserving information. Well, there are plenty of ancient historical documents that do that, that secular historians don't doubt are quoting ancient sources. Right. You know, they don't bat an eye about those. No. So neither should we about no, this. No, <laughs> neither should we. You know, so, yeah. you know, we're not, you know, some people may say, well, that's all right for secular history, but not mention Christianity. No. It's it's same fair. rule applies to every, everybody. Yeah, both is fair game, whether secular or whether sacred. And we're mentioning sacred things, mm -hmm. but Celsus really has a pop at uh, Jesus, and he says an awful lot of bad things about him. But some things in particular that Origen mentions is this: quoting Celsus, where well, not quoting Celsus, but referring to him. Origen states that he, speaking of Celsus accuses him, speaking of Jesus, of having invented his birth from a virgin. 
So in other words, Origen read what Kelsus said and Kelsus said, look, Jesus just made up all that stuff about him being born of a virgin. And he goes in and says that Mary was an unfaithful woman and so on. And this is how Jesus was born. He was an illegitimate child and so on. And uh, Joseph kicked her out and so on. So obviously Kelsus did not like the fact that Jesus claimed to be virgin birth and Christians mm -hmm. believe that. But here Origen is saying, look, you know, he, you know, he defends the virgin birth, but what is of note is it shows you that in the second century that Christianity believed that Jesus was virgin born mm. through Mary. Yeah. And, so, you know, and Kelsey didn't like that. Huh. Origen defends that. And so you can see the importance there. So Kelsus disagreed with this vehemently and caused, well, basically accuses Jesus of a lot of horrible things. Huh. But then he moves on a little bit later after calling Jesus an illegitimate child. He says, who having hired himself out as a servant in Egypt. So he says, Jesus went down into Egypt on account of his poverty and having there acquired some miraculous powers. So Kelsus is saying that here's Jesus, an illegitimate child. But yet he went down to Egypt, presumably to work. But then Kelsus states something very funny. That it's strange, I should say, that he, Jesus, acquired miraculous powers on which the Egyptians greatly pride themselves, and then he returned to his own country. So what Kelsus is saying there, and Origen is stating too, is that Kelsus believed that Jesus did miraculous, weird, strange things. Hmm. But he claims that it was because he learned it from magicians in Egypt. Okay. And he came back and he plied his trade then in Judea. Mm -hmm. But do you know it's there? And another point. It's just like what we we've seen earlier on with that quote from the Sanhedrin. They claim Jesus did miraculous things, but through sorcery. Kelsus mm -hmm. isn't denying that Jesus did miraculous things. He's just saying, like the Sanhedrin document did, that it was because of you know sorcerous powers. Yeah. So that's two sources, Jewish and then a Greek source, hostile, both of them hostile to Christianity, stating that Jesus did miraculous things. Ah, huh, wow. That ought to cause us to pause and think. Yeah. Well, like the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, you know, things are confirmed. That's right. There were hostile sources that believed that Jesus was doing miracles. Yeah, they couldn't deny it. Kelsus, yeah. if he probably, if he could have, he would have, but he equates it to sorcery learned in Egypt. Mm -hmm. But then he moves on a little bit later and he says, and highly elated on account of them and by means of these, speaking of his miraculous powers, proclaimed himself a god. Wow. So Kelsus is saying that when he went back to Judea and he did miraculous things, as a result of those miraculous things, he openly proclaimed he was god. So here's uh, a second extra biblical source yeah. now claiming not only he's a miracle worker, but also that he claimed to be God. Exactly. So uh, you put these pieces together, like, you know, a Jewish hostile source, a Greek hostile source, both proclaiming the fact that Jesus did miraculous things. Mm -hmm. This isn't the Bible. <laughs> this isn't the Gospels. This isn't one of the people who are associated with the apostles. Mm -hmm. These are people who have, who had, you know, no reason to stay otherwise to say these things. But they couldn't deny them. Mm -hmm. They were well known. Yeah, for people who aren't Bible believers, this ought to be quite powerful evidence. Yeah. Um, 
to us, it's not quite so powerful because we already believe the Bible. The Bible exactly. itself is powerful evidence. But for yeah. those who don't believe the Bible, let this be powerful evidence. Yeah, yeah. And, to, and to basically show that these are, like I said, these are not pro-Christian sources. Mm-hmm. These are Jewish these are Roman. These are Greek sources. Mm-hmm. And when you put all the pieces together, you come to this picture that Jesus was born of a virgin, whether people liked it or not. Mm-hmm. They slandered him, but we believe he was born of a virgin. And they indirectly point to that fact, whether they like it or not, that he was, that his, he was from Nazareth, mm-hmm. that he had a public ministry, mm-hmm. that he preached that he was a lawgiver, that he had a following of Jews and Gentiles, that he did miraculous things, and that he was ultimately put to death during the reign of the Emperor Tiberius, and that this happened under the governorship of Pontius Pilate. Mm. Hey, that's if you put the pieces together, that's a, a very basic, concise bullet point of the Gospels. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, you know, that's not the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's not New Testament. That's extra biblical sources. Right. So the, the thing is, you know, what conclusion do we draw? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when a hostile witness, a hostile source is saying these things, they had no reason to say these things. Mm-hmm. They may not have liked what was being said. They may not have agreed, but they couldn't deny the, what was in front of them. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, what conclusion does a person come to? Yeah. What I, what I think ought to drive, uh, what I think this should drive us to is for skeptics out there, for people who don't believe the Bible, this ought to cause us to take the Bible very seriously, but we don't just take it as interesting facts and go, huh, there must really have been a man named Jesus, and then go along our merry way. Uh, if there really was this man, if he really was a miracle worker proving that he came from God and if he claimed to be from God, um, it ought to drive us to the Bible and say, okay, what did he say? What did he teach? We have to take this man seriously, not just his existence, but the man himself and the things that he taught. So really ought to drive us to the Bible. And if I could uh, encourage you, open up the Gospel of John and find out what this extraordinary man taught about himself. Um, who he was and what he did, and and ultimately what he did for us, for all of us to secure our salvation. I think that's what we ought to take away from yeah, this. Exactly. In other words, give the Gospels a chance. Right. Yeah, give it a chance. Let them speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this has been utterly fascinating. Um, I hope you thought so, too. And stay tuned for uh, another topic next week. Um, And let me also encourage you to go out and look at uh, Tom's YouTube channel, Gospel and Spade. Um, He's got a lot of content on there right now about the Old Testament, Old Testament archaeology that confirms uh, or substantiates or helps us understand uh, the Old Testament context. So go out and check that out. Like and subscribe his videos. I think you'll learn a lot there. But thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.